Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason. I'm a guy in long-term recovery, and with me is... Hi, I'm Jenny. Jenny, not Billy. Isn't that weird? Yeah, Billy uh, Billy has chosen to take a vow of silence for a year. No, I'm kidding. Billy's on vacation, <laughs> and uh, he's having a good time living and enjoying the benefits of his recovery, and so we wish him well, and can't wait till he gets back. Uh, so Jenny agreed to come in and, and be with us today as we talk about ACA, which is Adult Children of Alcoholics. I've also heard people say ACOA. I guess that's uh, not as fun, though, as ACA. I, I kind of like ACOA better, honestly. I still say ACOA, but I'll, I'll cave to ACA if that's the norm. I, I think that's what people are saying now is the ACA. You know, the hip kids couldn't afford that extra syllable with the O. They had to... <laughs> well, ACA is also the... Uh... Affordable Care Act, so... Right. That's confusing. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of our letters also mean other things, like people get AA and AAA confused and all that good stuff. Like my iPhone gets right. confused, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to be talking about uh, ACA today with Sarah as soon as she comes on. Um, this is a weird thing, though, having you here. Not that you're weird, but it's odd because it's the first episode where we'll have more women than men. It's the first episode. Billy hasn't been here. Uh, In dealing with ACA, it's the first episode that we're going to deal with maybe a complementary program instead of a a substitute program for addiction. So it's a lot of firsts. It's okay to call me weird. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So ACA, one of the things we're hoping to find out, because we were just having a conversation about... um, you know, how addiction runs through families and, and what that's like. And so ACA kind of is the, with being adult children of alcoholics, this is people who grew up in, in an alcoholic household. Um, and it's probably, you know, we've talked about on this show before how the disease of addiction runs through generations and, and just goes from one to the next and, and causes awful results and, and doesn't seem to have a natural way to break that cycle without some outside intervention or or people seeking help um, for outside intervention. And so we don't personally know if ACA is welcoming of people from drug addiction families as well as it is alcoholic families. I I don't know that, I don't want to say that those problems are different, but yet at the same time, I think you're, it's kind of like the difference between Al-Anon and Nar-Anon. You know, I I get that Al-Anon, they 
technically kind of deal with the same thing, the enabling possibility and all that, but I just feel like, I would say people in Naranon probably feel like the stakes are higher. Could be. I'm, I'm super curious about that question, because I have a question for Sarah when we talk to her, you know, about that, you know, like, so when we get to that part. I got So you. I'm really, I'm really wondering. Yeah, so it, it should be interesting. I, I want to find out. And, and of course, you know, as always, Sarah is not the end-all, be-all of information on ACA, so she might not be able to answer all our questions. But I'm curious because I, I do feel like there's a lot of families caught in this cycle of, I don't know what you want to call it. Some people just say it's trauma. Some people say it's addiction. Some people, you know, say it, it has something to do with mental health. Um, but it's definitely a, a problem. Like, it's a problem we see. It's a cycle we see from generation to generation. And, you know, is ACA part of the way to stop that? Is it, you know, or or some similar program? Is this what we need to start to deal with these issues instead of just, you know, keeping them quiet and not talking about them like we seem to have done and then passing them on again to the, the mm-hmm. next group of kids that comes along? Yeah. Um, when you invited me to be on the show, and I, you know, because Billy was going to be out this week, um, I didn't know if you were inviting me just to help with Billy being out or because I'm a good candidate for ACA. <laughs> because I probably am. Um, I don't have any experience with ACA, ACOA. And um, I don't wonder if this counts as my first meeting. Am I going to get a coin today? I, I don't know. You can. <laughs> I, that's uh, but I'm, I, have so many, I have so many questions. I, I can't wait to hear her speak about it because I've only read like a little bit online, like the laundry list. Right. And uh, it's uh, it just seems, it's really interesting. And I, I know in my own story, I mean, I'm not going to tell you my whole story, but like, you know, I did I did some work along the lines, but not with the official ACOA program. So I I'm looking forward to hearing what she has to share and um, kind of like, you know, going from there. I have never done ACA either. It was uh, recommended to me at one point and I almost went that route. The the biggest problem at that point in time was that there weren't any real groups in the area. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did attend for quite a while an adult children focused Al-Anon meeting, which I know is not exactly the same thing. It's a mm-hmm. different program. I but didn't it's, know it was a thing, but yeah. It's the same type of thing, dealing mm-hmm. with that, uh, growing up in that household, right? And even if you don't have a a qualifier that particularly drank, uh, you can still qualify if they had all the behaviors. Um, and so that's what we're going to explore today. I think we're going to learn a lot. It should be interesting, and we will talk to Sarah here in a moment. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. All right. So we're here with Sarah today, uh, who has graciously come on to talk about. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
ACA with us. It's always suggested to me that before we get into anything about asking questions about particulars, that we allow the individual to tell five to eight minutes about their story and how they got where they are and what brought them there. And so I I think that's a great place to start is just hearing about you and, and what got you to where you're at. Yeah, cool. Thanks. I mean, I never had a bad upbringing. You know, I was cared for, looked after. I've been writing a gratitude list to my mum this morning about all the things she did for me as a kid. From the outside, it looked like a happy childhood. Mm. But within that, there was quite a lot of dysfunction going on. My parents are not very good at expressing their feelings. Um, There's a lot of anger, a lot of control, a lot of black and white thinking. So, you know, as I kind of grew up, there was a lot of arguing, you know, threats of leaving. You know, I was put in a in the car as a kid and told I was going to be taken to the children's home. So mm. it's kind of nothing ever happened, but there was always the threat. So I never really felt secure within what looked like quite a normal family. You know, so this kind of just went on and on. And I remember at school, I think, it, I, don't, I don't know why why it came up but I think one of our teachers mentioned a dysfunctional family and I was like oh that's our family (laughs) you know and I went trotting off home and said to my mum this is a dysfunctional family (laughs) and obviously that didn't go down very well um so you know it was kind of all the denial you know there's nothing wrong with our family and so you know denial is quite a big part of all of that as well on the part of the people that are kind of living it I guess my mum my I think my mum struggled quite a lot with parenting and for me the biggest kind of thing that I've I've found difficult is um she kind of blamed me for breaking up the family when I was three because I used to have a lot of tantrums it was you know she I think she's just unable to cope with negative emotions Mm. So that was kind of my upbringing, you know. Fast forward to about 14, I picked up drugs and alcohol and boys. I guess that's the point at which addiction started in my life because I just didn't feel like I fitted into my family. You know, I never really learned relationship skills from a dysfunctional family. Right. So, yeah, so I kind of got into all of that. I left home when I was 15, put myself into foster care because it's just it just felt so chaotic and the day that I left I remember like nothing even happened I think what actually happened was I had a day of peace and just went I want more of this and I just left wow then I got pregnant at 18 you know had my daughter and I think throughout the years you know I never sunk to a, a really low bottom But there was depression, you know, drugs, alcohol, terrible relationships, you know, that were very addictive and obsessive. Um, So it was just kind of, you know, a bit of overeating. I remember saying to my mum when I was 18, I think I'm, you know, I've got a problem with gambling. And I was, you know, putting my money in the fruit machine because I was drinking. And I was like, I think I'm an alcoholic. And it was just all going on. And I just didn't know what was happening, you know. So, yeah, I kind of, you know, my daughter's 23 now. All of that carried on throughout her upbringing, you know, loads more kind of dysfunction. And, and you know, and I've passed it on to her. Mm. You know, all of this stuff is generational. Right. You know, she by the time she kind of moved out of home and went her own way, I was just left here on my own with my addiction. You know, I, I had quite a 
hefty pot addiction by that time, which I thought was fine because it wasn't doing anyone any harm. You know, but I'd completely isolated myself from the world. Didn't really have any friends, had a great job, you know, flat, all looks great from the outside, but I just kind of crumbled on the inside. Yeah, kind of hit my bottom like two years ago and just kind of, I literally shouted out, can someone help me, you know, into my bedroom? And, And the word codependency popped into my head. And then I started reading about codependency, found Al-Anon, Codependence Anonymous, and that kind of got me into the programme. And then, you know, I'm, I'm now in ACA, which is Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. You know, my parents aren't alcoholics, but they're very dysfunctional. Um, and I also go to SLA, which is Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, which for me, I think kind of deals with the present issues I have with relationships and ACA looks at my past issues with relationships and where my kind of acting out, whether it's in relationships, alcohol, drugs, whatever, where it all kind of stems from. So for me, ACA is kind of getting down to the root of the problem. So that's kind of an overview. (laughs) I love the way you put that, you know, you kind of have the one program to deal with the here and present, you know, issues that are arising. And then you also have the the ACA to go back and look at the root of it and maybe where it stemmed from and maybe a a different plan of attack in order to heal that kind of stuff. Uh, I guess first and foremost, the first thing that popped into my mind was, did you go to any program for what you call the pot addiction at all or the substance use? No, because I didn't see it as a problem for the first year of recovery. It was kind of like, you know, I've got a job, I've got my flat, you know, I'm I'm a functioning human being. But it wasn't until, so I did the first three steps in SLA, which got me out of the addictive relationship I'd been in for 15 years, which actually we only dated for two years. And the rest of it was just this complicated backwards, forwards, push, pull, can't let go kind of nonsense. And, And I think the pot just kind of replaced it. You know, it was like peace for me. I'd come home from work and just kind of, go into myself in my own little bubble and I was actually perfectly happy but when I started looking at doing the ACA steps a few people pointed out that in the literature it does say that we need to be free from all our addictions and I I was in denial about that being an addiction Mm. until I read a book about addiction and there's a guy that had to kind of give up heroin and and it described how he felt and I felt that about giving up my pot and then I realized I had quite a lot stashed in the cupboard not that I was smoking it loads every day but I had a significant amount stashed away so I'd never have to be without it Mm. and the thought of not having it just kind of I instantaneously burst into tears and was like oh god you know I'm an addict but I mean I put that down you know I was kind of went through withdrawal I didn't use you know I didn't go to MA or anything because I already kind of knew what I had to do to get through it you know I already had an outreach group and you know and I had that kind of support network so not for that one (laughs) okay no that's great so is ACA a 12-step program this is and we come here uh, I don't want you to feel like we haven't done our homework like the idea is we don't want to have done our homework because we want people who are hearing about this for the first time to know more about the program so um, I have made notes just so I don't forget anything Um, (laughs) part of being an adult child for me is being a perfectionist (laughs) so um, don't like to get things wrong (laughs) um so yeah so we've got so aca is a 12-step fellowship based on aa 
So, you know, there's a lot of reference to AA throughout the literature. Our identification is called the laundry list. So, you know, we've got a list of things that we identify with. And those are all the things that I can identify with from a victim perspective, if you like. Mm. But then we've also got the other laundry list, which is where I've now become the perpetrator. So I may have been the victim of my parents, but I then became the perpetrator in the way I acted towards my daughter because I learned those behaviours from my parents. And then, I, you know, without meaning to, I replicated those in the way that I brought my daughter up. So those are kind of the identification. And then there's the problem and obviously the solution. I, I don't know if you want me to kind of read any of that stuff out if it's helpful. Well, what does ACA say the problem is? So, yeah, um, feeling isolated and easy, uneasy with other people, especially authority figures, becoming people pleasers and losing our own identity in the process. So, you know, a lot of codependency. You know, I tend to, like, for instance, I've stayed in relationships because I'm too... I don't want to let them down. You know, there's a lot of abandonment and I don't want to make other people feel abandoned. Um, we become alcoholics or other, you know, other addicts um, ourselves or we marry them or both. Um, finding compulsive personalities such as workaholics to fulfil our sick need for abandonment. Living life from the standpoint of victims, having an overdeveloped sense of responsibility getting guilt feelings when we stand up for ourselves rather than giving in to others. And really the kind of the main point is we become reactors rather than actors. So in a crisis, I can react from an emotional state rather than a calm adult state because I'm kind of, you know, I find myself transported back to being a kid and I'm then a scared, frightened kid trying to react to an adult situation without the skills because I never learned them from my parents you know, because they're very reactionary and emotional. There's a lot of anger and just emotional kind of outbursts and things. So depend, we're, you know, we're dependent personalities, terrified of abandonment and willing to do almost anything to hold on to a relationship. But we choose insecure relationships because they match our childhood relationship with alcoholic or dysfunctional parents. So, you know, learning to keep our feelings down as children, keeping them buried as adults, and then as a result of that, we confuse love with pity, tending to, lo to love those we could rescue. And for me, the biggest thing is, you know, becoming addicted to excitement in all our affairs. So, you know, kind of tapping into the inner drugstore for excitement because, you know, all the chaos and the drama and the shouting and all of that that went on in my childhood, when it's not there, it's, it just feels like a bit of a void. You know, there's nothing <laughs> so then wow. I kind of look for this excitement in other places. Yeah. So in, in listening to that list, I mean, I can only relate to every last one of them. <laughs> I know, I've, this is not the first time I've heard that list. And every time I hear it, I'm like, check, 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 like all the way down. And, and also in, in having a little bit of familiarity with the, the SLA program, I can completely see why those two go together with that laundry list. It sounded very similar to, you know, a lot of the relationship ideals and, and ways we act in there if we uh, qualify for the SLA program as well. Yeah. So from what I understand, ACA is an offshoot somewhere along the line from Al-Anon. Do you know any about the history of that? I, I believe like uh, people from Al-Anon, I don't know. To me, it sounds like people from Al-Anon went to therapy and learned about the inner child and then decided they needed a more therapeutic program. Yeah, possibly. I don't think, I don't, 
I'm not sure if I've heard the link to Al-Anon before or not, but yeah, I can definitely see that it, there's a connection there. I mean, I, you know, my first meeting was an Al-Anon meeting. I only ever went to one, so but it is very much about trying to detach from other people. My ex was an alcoholic, so just one meeting of Al-Anon was enough to go, oh, it's not my fault, you know, great. <laughs> Which I guess I kind of get the same kind of thing from ACA. I didn't cause my family's dysfunction. You know, I was just sort of subjected to it. Right. I had, uh, it was recommended for me to kind of explore some similar topics of the adult children at one point. And we didn't have ACA in my area. And it was suggested to go to an Al-Anon meeting that was called the adult children meeting of Al-Anon on Saturday mornings at one point. And I could definitely identify in a similar way as you, I think they were referring to it as having a, a para-alcoholic qualifier. Like my, my parents didn't drink either, but the same type of, you know, childhood environment of, I guess in a therapeutic community, we would just call it there's trauma that happened and never having a, a realization that it was trauma because I said, oh, my parents are together. They're not divorced. They didn't hate me. You know, it must not have been trauma. And then realizing that, like, some of their behaviors obviously got passed to me. And those were the same behaviors that I was passing to my kids and and not, you know, those those things you do when you react. Like you said, we're reactors. Right. And you just don't feel good about yourself afterwards. And you're like, why do I keep acting like this when I don't like so? We've heard about who would qualify for membership in ACA or, or people who might identify with the program according to their laundry list. So what does ACA say the solution is? Really to become your own loving parent, to actually learn those skills for for myself and be able to kind of give myself the love, the nurture, the comfort, rather than expecting my parents to give it to me, which they just can't. They're just not, not able to. It doesn't mean I have to go without. I just have to learn a whole new set of skills. And, you know, for me, like that does actually even sometimes entail me going, now, look, little Sarah, we need to go and do this thing today. So I need you to kind of stay at home so that grown up Sarah can go and deal with this situation. I mean, not all the time, but it has happened. And it's kind of like, you know, it just it's that self-soothing kind of being my own loving parent. It's interesting in only having experience with other programs where maybe the inner child might be, I don't know, laughed at or something along those lines. It's interesting to see that it's such an integral part. I mean, I I believe from what the way you're talking about it, like the inner child is actually in the literature of ACA, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, what you just said about sort of talking about this stuff in other fellowships, other people in other fellowships have said, I could never talk about this stuff in my other fellowship. It's just kind of, I I don't think it's really done, is it? (laughs) No, it's not. I mean, in in my program specifically, there's still, especially when we, people first arrive, um, there's still very much a a macho vibe and a mask they need to wear of toughness and, and, and this, you know, manly exterior. And so to think they would come in and like, you know, in meeting one, hear about an inner child, I can only imagine the reaction. And yet, you know, through therapy, that's part of my life, too, is getting to know the the concept of the inner child and how to self-soothe and the things that I need to do for me. So I completely am in love with the idea. I'm actually like, I need to join this program now. 
<laughs> because I could probably use one. it. Yeah. My recovery story started in AA, but I'm currently doing a Buddhist recovery program, which I love a lot. And yeah, inner child was never talked about in AA, not laughed at to your face, but it didn't come up much. Now in Buddhism, it's not in our Buddhist recovery literature specifically, but it's certainly welcome in the offshoot conversations. And I mean, your program, I'm, I'm seeing some similarities with the Buddhist recovery program. I mean, I, I'm dying. I want to hear more about yours. I really like how it's going. And I'm just, I don't know, I'm just thinking about my own story and how the Buddhist recovery overlaps with inner child talk and the stuff you just said. So I'm going to let you talk more. <laughs> Not, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. You know, I've got the Lotus Sutra. I kind of dip into that. I mean, for me, recovery is recovery. You know, I've got the AA big book. I've got the SLA big book, the Coda book, big book. I've got copies of all the big books. I've got copies of different religious texts. I think, you know, they've all got something to offer. So, yeah, and it all ties in quite nicely, I think, for me. But for me, like the biggest thing trying to get into recovery was there was never anything that was that bad. It was just really kind of, I've got a good life, but what is going on? Why am I so unhappy? And it was that deep down pain that just came from not being enough. And I think ACA for me kind of covers all of that. And looking at step four, you know, there's like it covers everything really. It's so interesting to hear you say that that's what led you to the program or or to seek help in general. You know, we kind of have this idea in some of the other recovery programs about the substances that you have to hit this bottom, right? And, And there's always debate about when's your bottom, when you stop digging and all that great stuff. But it seems to be that we think there's this like catastrophic event. That's just not my experience, right? Yeah, some people do have to get to some pretty low bottoms to come in. But really, ultimately, there's people with lots of money left with lots of stuff left. And and really, it's that emptiness, that void. And it's like, I'm doing everything I can. I have these things. It's almost like that shows you quicker than having nothing. Because if I have nothing, I can say, well, if I just had a good job and finances, I'd be happy. But if I have all those things and I'm still not happy, it's almost like that's more obvious. There's really something wrong here. I have everything I'm supposed to want and there's still no joy in my life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Curious. One of the things you can qualify for ACA if you come from an alcoholic household and you can qualify with, you know, what's called the the para alcoholic, which is, you know, basically the person who has all the same behaviors as the alcoholic just never drank same traumas going on there. But we were curious, are people from drug addicted homes, are they welcome in ACA? Is that talked about openly in meetings? Yeah, absolutely. Most of the people I know in ACA are in another fellowship. Off the top of my head, I can't actually think of anyone who isn't in another fellowship. For me, ACA is getting, like I said, it's getting to the root of the problem. That's how I ended up an addict. So whilst I can stop acting out, there's still going to be other areas where I just still don't feel quite right. And I've heard you mention in other podcasts about people that have kind of found that whichever fellowship they're in kind of isn't really doing an awful lot for them anymore. And I think that's probably where ACA comes in, you know, if you want to dig a bit deeper. I mean, we've got a yellow workbook. It's it's heavy, pretty heavy duty. You know, there's 30 pages to step four with every um, inventory under the sun, you know. And then right. once you've done this, there's another workbook to go even deeper. 
wow. you know it's like you can keep peeling that onion for as, as long as you want you know for me like who I am today is based on my upbringing and then another 20 years of repeating the same stuff so I've got I'm in my 40s now I've got 40 years of dysfunction to try and unpick so it's not going to go away overnight but in two years I have found that I actually do feel more like an adult these days not all the time but most of the time you know (laughs) and I feel secure with who I am most of the time you know and I still have blips but now it's like oh that's just some work I need to do get journaling Um, try and try and work out what's being triggered here you know because there's there's something that just needs looking at you know you were talking about not necessarily coming from a house of addiction but um, in the literature it does say that you know parents could be addicts or not they could also be emotionally ill hypochondriacs hypercritical perfectionistic ultra religious sexually abusive you know there's all sorts of things that can come from living in a dis you know lots of things that define being dysfunctional and one of the exercises that we do as part of the workbook is to actually draw out a big family tree and you kind of write down how all of these people map to ACA so you kind of list all the loners all the alcoholics the people that were really self-sufficient and wouldn't accept help from anybody else I I didn't realize just how dysfunctional my entire family was you know all the control there is actually a lot of alcoholism in my family. And I, I know my dad did drink quite a lot as a teenager, but then he just stopped. So I'm kind of thinking, well, is he a dry drunk? Because he's very angry. Yeah, he might not be an alcoholic, but he's definitely not been treated for whatever happened to him that made him the way he is. So it is difficult to kind of get help if you come from something, you know, a background where it's not necessarily alcoholic addict if you if you're not an alcoholic or an addict I mean there probably is something somewhere along the line but I think ACA just really does cover everything (laughs) over here there's people who shot heroin who go to AA and generally in the AA meeting they kind of hope you don't share that like they don't want you to talk about drugs they want you to talk about alcohol use and recovery from that but in, they can go to that program and, and work the steps and, and work that program and find the help they need. But they're still not really allowed to talk about it, I guess, in general. Some and open are than others. Yeah, some yeah. places definitely don't care as much for sure. But And same kind of idea with like an Al-Anon or a Naranon meeting. Like they really kind of stick with what they're supposed. So is there any language that would not be welcome in ACA? Like, could you go in and talk about your parents being heroin users and you recovering from that? Or do they kind of try to stick to the alcohol since it's in the name? Well, no, I mean, it's alcoholic and dysfunctional families, so it covers everything. (laughs) I can't remember where it says it exactly, but I I did have that feeling that maybe I shouldn't talk about, say, for instance, my SLA stuff or my codependent stuff, you know? So for a long time, I was very mindful of that and didn't talk about it. But as I was working through the work, you know, the step workbook, it did start specifically talking about all of that stuff. So therefore, if it's in the book, I'm going to talk about it. And I do now talk more openly about the things that I struggle with because of my ACA upbringing. So, you know, it, it's part of who I am. I've had problems with alcohol smoking pot you know I mean I was sat there last night dealing with some feelings thinking I really want to go and get high 
you know, and, and I have talked about that in an ACA meeting because, you know, I'm working the ACA steps. So I need to recognise when I suppose acting out is coming up for me and I need to, it just, it all ties in really. I'm actually highly surprised that they use the terminology dysfunction in their wording. And, and only because I know in the therapy world, they're kind of moving away from using that word because it's, it's sort of gotten taken over, not so much with the stigma of being terrible, but almost the stigma of playfulness, kind of like mm. how people use it and throw it around so much now that they're, they sort of want to move away from dysfunction. And and, and plus, it's a negative connotation label. And mm. so they're, they're trying to use people first speech. And so it just it kind of caught me off guard that ACA uses the term dysfunction, even though I think probably more people can understand what that means than anything else you would call it. Yeah. When when ACOA was first introduced to me, it was as adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. That was in rehab. I went to outpatient rehab. Even the term adult children was like really weird to me. Now, I wasn't that bright when I entered rehab. So, uh, <laughs> But the, when, they, when they started mentioning adult children, I'm like, what does that even mean? It took me a while to sink in. And so I didn't know I had those traits. It was funny how my my therapist counselor at the rehab had brought it up. She she kept having that acronym ACOA in my report. I'm like, what what is that? She's like, hey, adult children of alcoholic. She's like, that's you. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> she's like, oh yeah. I was like, oh okay. But I didn't even know what adult children meant even back then. But the dysfunction was definitely present too. So it should be ACAD. Adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional family. <laughs> Unless the word police come and get you. And I can be a bit of the word police too. I hadn't heard that dysfunctional was like kind of on the outs, but. Uh, I mean, you know. No, I mean, yes. I think sometimes it's tricky because we want to use language that emphasizes people's strengths and not deficiencies. And so that's why they try to move away from dysfunction because it sounds like more of a deficiency than a, a strength. And the basis in therapy is usually a strength based perspective but like that. at the same time you you start moving away from language that everybody understands and then there's more confusion and so i think people at this point in 2020 definitely understand the dysfunctional family and so it's kind of a a very clear statement to make like do you come from a place where people argued every thanksgiving and got too drunk and you know half naked people chased your uncle out of the house or something like you might qualify for this program. Yeah. So, and if it wasn't for that word, I don't think I would have got in because, you know, ev even though I'd identified myself as being from a dysfunctional family as a child, you know, as an adult sitting in a room full of people that, you know, from my perspective, had, had it much worse than I did. I still didn't feel like I belonged. So if I was sat in a place where it was just adult children of alcoholics, I never would have gone. Because I'm like, well, I'm not, you know, but the dysfunctional family bit I could identify with. So it might not be a nice word, but I could, like you say, it was a word I understood. And that was introduced to you in school. You were school aged, right? Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah, when I was in school, dysfunctional family meant the Simpsons. So it sounded hilarious to me. Right. <laughs> and so I, I completely agree with that, that idea because had it not been for an outside recommendation for me to go to an Al-Anon meeting, I would never have entered an Al-Anon meeting about adult children of alcoholics at all, because I, and when I say that, I don't mean that they were the same program. It was just, that was the topic, but I, I didn't have any alcoholics per se in my immediate family. And so I never would have considered that that was something I needed. Like, why would I go to Al-Anon? That's for people who have alcoholic family members. I don't, but 
you know, once I got there and heard what they were talking about, I could completely identify in and then to understand the concept of the the para-alcoholic or the dry drunk or the person who has all those behaviors. I know hypercritical, that one stuck out when you read that one. It kind of hurt my heart a little bit. I was like, oh, the hypercritical parent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With the perfectionist. Yeah. So curiosity, do you know of anybody specifically that only goes to ACA or does everybody in your circle and people you know kind of use it as a complementary program to another program they do? Yeah, I like I said, I cannot think off the top of my head of anyone I know who only does ACA. It seems like a great place to get more information. To, like you said, kind of to dig deeper. And I, and I hate to say that because then I sound like the, the snotty, hoity-toity, you know, 12-step recovery guy. Like, oh, if you don't go to these other programs, you're just staying at surface level. Like, that's not my goal. But I, I have found the more 12-step programs that I've explored personally, the deeper I've gone into learning about myself and, and the different ways in which what I call addiction manifests in my life. What do you guys call, like, I... In my program, you know, uh, we struggle with the problem of addiction. It's a disease of addiction, right? That's what we refer to it as. And it has many manifestations all over our lives. But what do they refer to it in ACOA? Just dysfunction? Do they call it trauma? What, do they have a term for it? No, I don't, I don't think we really prescribe anything like that. You know, it's it, if you identify, welcome. Mm. That's it. So I guess I would just walk around and say I'm dealing with my problem. I'm the problem. I, I was curious, since there is the focus on the inner child, have you noticed at all that maybe men have a harder time with the program than, than say, women do? I've not noticed that. Possibly some kind of gender-specific messages, you know, like men, don't, men shouldn't cry, need to be tough. I, I have heard of men struggling with that, but then so do I. <laughs> Right. You know, because one of the, when we do our, uh, you know, in our preamble, it's, you know, adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families are told, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Mm. So, you know, it's not, it's not gender specific. It's, we have been told to keep quiet. Why are you crying? Why are you doing that? Stop crying. I'll give you something to cry about. Constantly. It's just emotional abuse, really, isn't it? And just not being mm. given a space to, to feel emotions, to feel feelings. You know, um, you mentioned masks. You know, we put masks on. We pretend like everything's all right because that's how we've survived. Right. You know? I mean, I remember like when my mum would get the wooden spoon out and, you know, to smack us, I'd stand there with such determination, like I am not going to cry. I am not giving you the satisfaction of seeing me in pain. And so that just becomes a default, you know, to not show emotion, to kind of shove it down and not express it. And ACA is really about getting in touch with all of that. I sometimes now have started being able to give myself time to cry. You know, like the other day, I was going off into the kitchen to stuff my face because I was feeling feelings. And I even said out loud that I knew that I was doing that. And on my way back through, you know, I kind of thought, no, I need to sit down and have a cry. So I did, you know, mm. and that was the solution was to get in touch with what I was actually feeling and not go and 
try and soothe it with some kind of acting out because I haven't got my pot anymore. I don't drink, you know, but there's still a load of sugar in the kitchen. Right. You know, so it's trying to keep a check on wh- what am I feeling and what do I actually need to do to make myself feel better? So, and what I just heard there is that we come from people who don't know how to feel and express their own feelings or tolerate them. And so we're raised in a way that in my house, it was safer to not have feelings. It was safer to not cause a ruckus or stand out. Everything was just safer to be okay because then I didn't have to deal with what happened when things weren't okay. And then that's what we learn. And then that's all we have to pass on to our children without some kind of program to help us be more conscious and present in the moment and deal with some of those things and not be, you know, not be the reactors. Is that like the ultimate goal of ACA to kind of no longer be the reactor, but to just respond to life as seems more appropriate in the moment? I think so. But also, as you were saying that, you know, I I kind of realized that there's a lot of fear in my life. You know, if I, if I were to express emotion, then my instant thought is I'm going to be abandoned. You know, if, if a friend is to get upset with me, I'm like, oh, well, the friendship's over, you know. So I'm stealing myself and shoving my feelings down and going, well, I never really cared about that relationship much anyway. You know, we had a good time, but, you know, move on. And, and, and so it's kind of trying to build intimacy and trust that if I have a bit of a blip with someone, it doesn't mean the whole thing's over, you know, and that negative emotions are okay. It's just someone expressing a feeling and that feeling is okay. The same as being happy is okay. And making sure that I'm true to myself and not just constantly trying to people please in order to keep them in my life, which I would have had to do in my family of origin. It was always about keeping my mum happy so that she wasn't upset. So that kind of then extends into other relationships where I'm constantly trying to put my feelings aside just to make sure the other person's happy so they don't leave me. I remember buying my first car and I purchased the car that my my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, really liked because I honestly had no concept of what my favorite things in life were at that point in time yet until I had uh, sought some therapy to, to figure that kind of stuff out. Would you say there's any time you graduate ACA, is that something that happens? Not Maybe not graduate is the right term, but do you, is there a finish to the program or is this kind of a lifelong addressing? Or do you get to a point where maybe you feel like you've addressed everything you can address from your childhood and it's time to stop going? I'm not aware of any kind of milestones. There are chips for kind of yearly membership. Oh. It's not something that I really hold on to anymore. I mean, we did have... You know, we have chips in the other fellowship, but if I lose sobriety, I'm going to beat myself up a bit more about it. I just stay in the programme. And and I think it is a lifelong thing. Steps 10, 11, 12 are are anyway in any programme, that constant checking in and working the programme. And I don't see how I will ever be done learning. I mean, even if I'm I'm healed, you know, I still want to carry on being the best person I can be. So... No, there are no specific recovery milestones in ACA that I'm aware of. But like I said, you know, there's there's the other laundry list book to do once Mm. I've done this one. So Right. And you don't I believe it's not referred to as sponsorship in ACA, is that correct? You can have sponsorship. The way that I'm working is like the fellow traveller way, which is, you know, me and another fellow wanted to work the program so we just kind of joined up and and we do each step together 
it's kind of gone a little bit out of sync now. But to begin with, we were doing step one together, doing all the writing, meeting up and then sharing back what we'd found and just having the discussion. You know, some people do have sponsors. There are other people who do it as a group. A group of people have just finished doing the steps. I think it was a men's group. So they all did the steps together. You know, it's a personal journey. So that's what I like about ACA is it's not rigid. And I think this rigidity of growing up in in a controlling environment is what I like about ACA. It kind of it's letting go of all of that. I don't have to do this perfectly. I mean, when I started doing the the workbook, I had it there and I was like, oh, if I write in it, I'm going to ruin it. If I get it wrong or a spelling mistake, it's all got to look perfect. So I was like, right. And I just scribbled out the first few questions in it just to get over that fear of getting it wrong. And, you know, I mean, I'm on step nine now and I'm a bit stuck with one of the amends I need to make. And and I kind of thought maybe I actually need to just go back to step four, you know. So I'm kind of back on step four looking at my part in order to try and move forward with the step nine. And I'm, you know, I'm using the AA literature for this. It's all there. And there's no one telling me that I can or can't do it the way that works for me so you know I really like it it's gentle it's a really gentle program about love and acceptance and not being perfect and just doing the best you can really wow that sounds great and I believe you had a question right Jenny that you really wanted to ask yeah um just kind of about the mechanics so there is a 12-step process and you mentioned the workbooks and then I love this term fellow traveler is that just an across the pond thing? Do we use that over here, fellow traveler? Is that what you said? Yeah, yes, fellow yeah. traveler. Yeah, I like that term because in a in the recovery sango, we don't have enough people to do like a sponsorship thing, but a fellow traveler. I like I like the image of that. How often do you meet personally, or what's the program recommend? Um, well, they say give it. I think it's three to six meetings. You know, to see if you identify and and then just keep coming back. I mean, I do a a weekly meeting, you know, I have a commitment. We're on Zoom at the moment, but it would normally be a physical meeting. Yeah, there's there's quite a lot of groups actually in the UK. And, you know, we have conventions. I joined an ACA workshop yesterday that was based in in America, which is great because, you know, at the moment we're going all over the world, sort of dipping into things. It's great. It's a great opportunity to sample other programs because around here, you know, when ACOA was recommended to me, I think we had one meeting, not even that close, you know, one day a week. So mm-hmm. I, I ended up not doing it, but now's a good time to try Zoom out. I haven't done any any online meetings. I've just done one in-person outdoor meeting, but uh, maybe I'll dip into yours. <laughs> the other thing that comes with the smaller fellowships, uh, and, and I don't mean smaller, like they're small, but just compared to the the AAs and NAs of the world, you know, they're they're not as large. But even when they come to a more remote area, such as the one we currently live in, you get one meeting a week, and then you really, that meeting takes on the personality of the few people that go. And it's just not the same. If, you know, an hour away from us are two major cities. And if you go there, there's the variety, right? You can hit a meeting on Monday and it feels one way and a meeting Wednesday. And it seems like more structured than it does up here. Up here, it feels more like a, a conversation or a hangout between a couple of friends, which can be great if those people are really in tune with the ideals of the program. But sometimes I've found it's not in, in tune with the ideals of the program at the moment. And it kind of just seems like somebody running their own meeting. 
for their own reasons, which is weird. And you had a question about the the opioid epidemic too, right? Yeah, this is my big question. Are you ready for my big question? So, you know, there's an opioid crisis. And, you know, right now there's a generation of kids being raised by dysfunctional and addicted parents who are going to be adult children one day. Does ACA talk about this? Like, you know, this, this generation's coming? Is there a plan? It's interesting you say that because I was listening to one of the other podcasts the other day that was talking about, it might have been Billy perhaps talking about going into schools with NA and, you know, talking to kids and stuff. And the word prevention came up. You know, is that what you're sort of talking about? Because when I thought about it, it's like I had no choice in how I was raised, you know, um, and I can't see that I could have turned out any other way because dysfunction is generational. It's passed down from parent to parent to parent. So my ACA journey is really about drawing a line under that and stopping the generational pass down of the dysfunction to I mean, I've already done the damage, but I can definitely not make it worse for my daughter. You know, if I'd have kind of got into ACA sooner, it might have had more of an impact. But my ACA journey is about acknowledging the fact that my parents did the best with what they had. They did what they could. And I did the best with what I had. Um, And it's kind of really letting go of the blame. I guess parents that are on opioids are doing the best they can they're trying to get through their stuff I don't know if that kind of answers your question but I'm not sure personally that there is such a thing as prevention Mm. I I think in in 20 years uh ACA is definitely going to need you as a a senior member to help the large influx of people coming in from from all these families it's it's unfortunate but i mean thankfully we do have places like this with members who are gonna still be there and, and helping out so that you know people have a place to go and find out about what their problem is when they're ready and and what they can do about it and so i guess to wrap up a little bit aca you they have a website you can find meetings virtually and possibly in person at the moment maybe Is there anything else you wanted to tell us about the program? I suppose I was going to, you know, I did make a a note of the step four, you know, areas that we look at because I didn't realise how thorough it was until I started. So uh, if you don't mind, I'll just read out the, um, you know, the the things that we look at. So first of all, we look at the laundry list and all of the ways that we identify with that. We look at family secrets. We look at shame, abandonment generational transfer of harms so what i you know what i've passed down and done to my daughter we look at stored anger relationships you know whether they're romantic sexual friendship ones we look at sexual abuse we look at parental denial we look at our own denial and that was quite a big one for me that was a quite an eye-opener because i was like well i've never been in denial about my family dysfunction but what i hadn't looked at was my own denial which i you know i did have We look at PTSD, we look at trauma and neglect, um, but also built in with that is a lot of feelings, check-ins, praise, acknowledgement of our strengths, because there's a lot of good stuff that we've learned. You know, we're not bad people. In fact, what I've learned is I'm actually a really nice person. I've been beating myself up for years thinking I was a terrible person, a terrible mom, a terrible daughter, an addict, an alcoholic, you know, all of the things I've done because of it. 
And now I'm getting in touch with the fact that I'm actually a kind, sensitive, useful member of society. And I suppose, you know, having looked at all of the the horrible stuff and dealing with all the grief that surrounds that, I'm now able to shine as the person that I was supposed to be. And so that's kind of, you know, what I've got from ACA. As a guy who loves therapy and all the concepts of therapy, I will say this program sounds the most tied into therapy and therapy language and therapy ideals and values. And I just for that reason, love it. I I love everything about it. Honestly, everything you've said today, I'm like, that's great. (laughs) We should do more of this everywhere. Right. I have one more question. Is there a spiritual leaning or spiritual rules or with ACA? It's a spiritual program, same as AA, but you know, you find your own higher power. I struggle with that you know prayer meditation I struggle with you know I what I do do is I do a lot of um, walking in nature that's my kind of higher power it's just you know finding that thing that's bigger than me it's about removing my ego you know that I've got any control in any of this you know in, in other people's lives there's a lot of codependency that's come about through my upbringing and so yeah I think it's probably the same as any other 12-step fellowship really awesome well thank you so much for taking the time to be of service today sarah hopefully people can hear more about the aca program and i generally find that the more people hear about a program the more they realize they're they're part of the me too and so hopefully they'll have a new place to explore and, and find some help and this program will continue to grow and flourish and help people and again just thank you so much for taking your time to come on it was great talking to you thank you so much thank you for inviting me yeah it's been great this was so interesting. I'd want to hear it even if I wasn't in it. This, this has been a great, I, I loved hearing your story. Thank you for being so open and wise and giving. Thank you. So that was a, a great conversation with Sarah. One of the things I think that was on my mind that just stuck out a little bit, like I don't know that we have any actual scientific research about, you know, I don't even know how you could research or, or quantify that dysfunction or trauma is passed down from generation to generation, right? But we do have plenty of research that says uh, addiction runs in families. We have research that says if you start out in a middle-class family, you're probably going to end up in a middle-class family. And if you start out, you know, in a lower socioeconomic status family, that's probably where you'll end up. Like, we don't change much from our family of origin. We, we kind of have this understanding in science for the most part that's able to be shown in numbers like this is what happens of course there's the outlier that breaks out of that the guy who grows up with a you know a father that does plumbing who becomes a multi-billionaire through a tech company startup or something like it of course there's always one or two but in general we are what we come from and and i just think that understanding applies so much in our lives that we don't really ever tend to look at like we're we're so busy on a daily basis, just, oh, I got to get up and get to work. I got to get the kids to school. I got to get the kids to their soccer game after school. I got to do this. I got to do that. And trying to keep up with that, that we don't ever really think about, am I just living the exact same life my parents gave for me, including all the parts of it that I thought were pretty yucky as a kid? Have I taken an actual look at the parts of my life that I think were unfair to me or, or not good for me? It, 
it's so easy for the world to beat that out of us like oh your parents were together they weren't even separated or divorced or they didn't beat you with a wooden belt like <laughs> a wooden belt who the fuck uses a wooden <laughs> belt sorry whatever like they didn't beat you or, or whatever it's not enough to be trauma and yet we're just continuing to pass this on to our kids and i it's just so relevant i almost wish it was just like instead of adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families just i don't what do you everyone <laughs> this, well, this is yeah. the everyone program because trauma is subjective so one person who gets the wooden belt you know <laughs> may <laughs> not yeah they might take it one way you know like that may not be as traumatic to them as somebody else you know trauma is subjective mm-hmm. you know so someone with the you know silver spoon childhood still could end up you know, dysfunctional. Are we allowed to use that word? Like, sure. you know, because um, of what they suffered from. Imagine all the kids of presidents. And, I, you know, what comes to mind is the most recent two, and maybe Clinton as well. Like, their children were young in the White House. And how many duties and busyness does your father and mother have now as the president and first lady? And, like, how little attention do you get from them yeah. Because of that. like, and, and I'm not saying they're the only ones, but even those are people who you're like, oh, they're the president's kid. They'll turn out great. And mm-hmm. you're like, well, how much trauma are they going through? Right. The immense pressure of always being in the public eye. They're probably mm. not doing like, you know, movie night on the couch. I can't really picture that unless it's staged for their Instagram, you know, <laughs> feed. But well, And celebrity kids, too. Right. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you can't get out of the public eye you're always getting pictures snapped of you you probably can't go to a normal school like you have this odd upbringing and so we say oh they've got it great but really like their childhood might be just as traumatic as the next person's for other reasons this is where yeah i I get my gratitude for my small potatoes lifestyle Mm. you know i mean this this podcast is the probably the most celebrity thing i'll ever do oh man that's (laughs) that's low That's low on the totem pole. But no, I, I agree with you. Like, I, you know, nobody's calling to take up all my time all week. And I do have a lot of time with my kids, and I love it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a true blessing. Um, so I don't know. Any, anything really interesting you learned today that surprised you? I forgot to ask her how popular Russell Brand is in England. That was my uh, question, because I think he's hilarious. Um, and I'm, I wonder if he's, like, as popular over there as he is over here. He's got he's got mixed, you know. I just wanted her her perspective. That's him. a good question. I, I he, I really like his material, and yet when I you know the the pricing for it kind of bothers me. Oh. Like I listened to his book, uh, and because I oh, listened to the, the bootleg version mm-hmm. on YouTube, <laughs> and it was brilliant. I'm like, this uh, is so informative and yeah. entertaining, and I like listening to him. He's a smart guy, and but then he was like saying you could get stuff off his website that was cost money, and I was like. Do you do you need it? Like, uh, why? Yeah, I've only tapped into like I've used like Audible credits for his books. I'll listen to the free podcast, but I, I haven't subscribed to Luminary. Right. Well, he, yeah, and he's got like recovery materials, like mm-hmm. workbooks or something and stuff that you can buy. That. And I'm just like, why? Really? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe if I had money, I would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and look, for all I know, all that money he makes from that goes back into recovery. I have no idea, right? I just want to judge him for charging money to begin <laughs> with. I, maybe I just don't want to pay money. Maybe that's my problem. I just don't want to pay for anything. I just want it for free. That is that is a theme with you. Yeah. <laughs> just want things for free. That's part of my own addiction. So I'm only judging Russell because of my own problem. 
There we go. He would tell me all about myself, I'm sure, <laughs> if I would pay him my money. Do you think he'll come on this show? <laughs> I highly doubt it. You can always ask. I, yeah, I've thought about that. I've thought about asking Can I be a guest people. host when that happens? I, <laughs> I, we'd have to ask Billy. Um, yeah, okay. I'll, you, I'll arrange a vacation for yeah. him. Like. <laughs> you'll buy Billy a vacation. That's But yeah, I don't know. I guess I was a little surprised. I thought all their... I didn't think they did sponsorship. I thought they were all called fellow travelers even Mm -hmm. if that was technically like your sponsor that's kind of a word in the therapeutic community people moved away from calling their people patients and they started with the clients which clients is pretty okay but but now even more people are like it still feels weird and professional relationshipy and so we want to call our clients fellow travelers instead that's interesting so the college-educated paid person is a fellow traveler of the one once was patient? Uh, artist formerly known as patient? What I will say is, for the good ones, probably. Hmm. I, I personally think the best therapists are the ones that understand they are right here with you, not anywhere Okay. in some you know professional understanding level of being above you. That is interesting. So uh, take that with a grain of salt. If your therapist is above you and doing great for you, then stick with it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take my advice. But, uh, I mean, I guess that's about all I got. You got anything else to wrap up? Thanks for inviting me. Oh, thanks for coming on. I, I appreciate you being of service and coming on and, and helping me do this podcast today. Yes, with a fun experience. I hope I was helpful. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Brought good questions and uh, an entertaining voice. <laughs> Uh, so we'll look forward to having Billy back next week. As always, you know, check us out wherever the heck you check us out at and, and join in the conversation. The more voices, the merrier. We learn more that way. Uh, and we'll see you next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share it with people you think might benefit from the conversation. Look us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to join the conversation also and share your ideas with us. We'd love to hear it.